Uh, you notice it's all style, son? <laughs> it's like sitting around, you know, and you suddenly realize that you're a human cake of yeast and stuff is growing deep down inside of you and beginning to send out shoots and roots. And uh, you're beginning to develop that unbelievable, fantastic itch. Uh, that itch that uh, no scratch will help. Way down deep inside. Holy smokes, what am I going to do? It's summertime. It's so wild. Bring it up there. Bring it up thick. before I even do this program tonight, this little show, this little epic, this little slice out of each man's little tiny orange peel existence. Oh, by the way, have you ever learned how to uh, peel an orange the way the Italians do it? You know, a little style there, a little continental savoir faire, a little uh, passage, you know. After all, man has little enough style in his life. He just fools around, scratches, and sends his washing wear coat off to get it washed and it comes back and you find out it didn't wash and wear now it wouldn't fit a dachshund and uh you know it's a fool around nothing works out you know not really in the final end your transmission goes bad got a bad differential and your brakes creak and it's like the it's like the old man you know the old man one time sitting in the sitting in the oldsmobile and uh, of course this oldsmobile had had four other owners now i, I, I don't know whether or not you're Involved, or at least have ever been involved in the used car mystique. But you sit in the back of a used car. A really used car. I'm not talking. Have you noticed now that uh, that they don't even want to admit that a used car is a used car? You heard those ads, huh? You know, you can't buy a used Cadillac. Oh, no. I've been listening to the ads. They are called previously owned Cadillacs. That's Or, or even better than that, they call them pre-owned Cadillacs. <laughs> It's all in the word, you know. Rose is a rose is a rose. And a bad differential is a bad differential is a bad differential is a shot transmission, depending on how you look at it. Would you please give it... It's uh, because it's a summertime. It's still in this tonight. Easy now. Ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. In the good old summertime. Time, time, in the good old summertime. Do you know what date this is, friends? Cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Hold it there. That's enough of that. To just reset that. We may need that a little bit later on. A little charge in the gills here. And the good old summertime. Of course, it's uh, June 29th, friends. And, uh, for those of you who don't know what June 29th is, it's a traumatic moment for me here. I, every year I run into June 29th, and I just sort of back away and go down and get myself a Carvel ice cream cone. Hey, did I ever tell you I knew the guy that uh, was a kid, do you see? in my class one time. And uh, his old man was an inventor. He'd hang around down in the basement all the time. And all the other old men that I knew, you know, the father types that we had in the neighborhood there, they did stuff. You know, they'd uh, work at the roundhouse. Or <laughs> did you ever live in a neighborhood where everybody worked in the roundhouse? And, uh, he'd work in the roundhouse, see? Or uh, 
some of the old men around there work in the lumber yard. That was another big thing. Or uh, you work uh, at the steel mill. But this guy fooled around the basement, see. And uh, I remember my, my old man who uh, used to, you know, work at the dairy. So uh, <laughs> the old man used to sit around and he'd talk about this guy. And he'd say, oh, boy, he said, uh, I sure feel sorry for his family. Boy, oh, boy. I mean, an inventor. What do you mean, inventor? He just fools around down the basement and makes stuff, for crying out loud. Someday, you know, they're just going to get rid of all them bums. Those guys are just living off everybody, you know, eating up the fat of the land and getting relief and all that stuff. Well, he was working down in the basement inventing a machine. And uh, he finally fe apparently finished it. And uh, they opened a little stand where his machine was in operation. And it was on the main street in town there. And the old man snorted. He says, oh, boy, what a turkey, what a egg that's going to lay. Of course, uh, I would say that at least 99.99997% of all humanity totally missed the point of everything. Hardly anybody gets the point of anything ever. That's just my experience. And I am no exception. I mean, I, well, I, I, no, no, I, I don't. I, I pretend to know uh, uh, omnipotent uh, views. I pretend to know... Uh, uh, omniscience at all, you know? And it is for this reason, you know, they always say that the you, the best person to write a story about skunks is a skunk. But, you know, he has a little insight into skunks. He knows a little bit, you know, it's not easy being a skunk, and a lot of people take uh, rather cavalier attitudes. Did I ever tell you about the time I came out of a motel once and there was a skunk in the front seat of my MG eating graham crackers? Now, I didn't know that <laughs> at that point, I didn't know that skunks had a thing on graham crackers, but nevertheless, you know, I come out there and the skunk jumped out of the MG, and it was about six weeks, it took at least about six weeks before I could comfortably sit in the MG with somebody else without them suspecting that, you know, uh, you know, skunks are skunks, let's face it, a skunk is a skunk, you know, and uh, nothing wrong with being a skunk if you're a skunk. And uh, the old man, nevertheless, he laughed to beat hell, you know, he just said, oh boy, this guy, you know, what an egg. And they opened a little shack. It was about a block away from the high school there, you know, a little shack where this guy set up his little machine. It was a chrome-plated machine. He had a chrome-plated, you know. Uh, it's one thing about the inventors with styles. He had this, <laughs> this bunch of pipes and stuff, all chrome-plated, set it up, and uh, turned it on. And uh, they had a grand opening. And I remember talking to Clyde. That was his kid's name. See, Clyde said, why don't you come down? The old man's got his machine going. So we're having a grand opening down, and they had bunting, you know, and all kinds of summer, just like this, see. And uh, I go down there, and the bunting is there, and there's about 15 kids standing in line to try to machine. And the old man is standing, and he's got a red neck, see, and he's sweat like mad. And he's got this red neck, and he's got a hand on the throttle there, and he's running this machine. And all the kids are buying this stuff that he's making, see. It costs a nickel. And uh, if you wanted a big one, it was a dime, so... Everybody's buying a nickel one, saying he had these little cups, and he's squirting his stuff in there. And I'm at the end of the line, and a couple of kids start falling in the line behind me, Schwartz and Flick, and we got our nickels, you know. After all, it's Clyde's old man. And we could just as easily have bought a popsicle, you know, or a fudgesicle, but we're going to buy this guy's thing. And so I took one lick at his stuff. I mean, and I'll tell you, my eyeballs lit up. I mean, my soul started to sing, see. <laughs> well, it was great, you know. The stuff he was making was fantastic, so... I, I went home, and the old man is out in the backyard, and he's polishing the Oldsmobile. He had this fourth-hand Olds. You see, that was his big hang-up. The only thing he ever did was polish the Olds, see? It was about all you could do. It had a balsa wood transmission. You couldn't do much about that. And, 
And the differential, you see, was made out of plastic, and the wheels were square, so it was a pretty rod. Listen, he had a piston slap, you know? You know, uh, have you ever heard the expression piston slap? Look, that Oldsmobile that the old man had had a piston slap that sounded like a marimba being played in the middle distance. It, it actually played uh, the Stars and Stripes forever, you know, when he got on the street. It could slap, you'd hear thumping. And so the old man, the old man, uh, I come back in the, in the backyard, and I said, boy, you should see what Clyde's dad made. Was that stuff good? And I still had stuff all over my mouth, you know, from it. It was dripping off my chin. He said, oh, he says, poor old guy. He said, what a, what a turkey. I said, no, Dad, you ought to go down and get some of this stuff. <laughs> the old man is still scoffing, see. And uh, he said, no, no, I said, that's ridiculous stuff. He says, who, that's kid stuff. Well, uh, the old man, this is why my old man always, who was his whole life, bought fourth-hand Oldsmobiles. Do I have to tell you what this guy invented? Do you know what he invented? Well, I want to tell you what he invented. He invented the machine that they make this soft ice cream out of, you know, you know, like Carvel and all those uh, Dutch ice cream joints and all that stuff. Well, as far as I know, the last sight that I had of Clyde, he and the old man and his entire family was heading for the island, which they had bought in the Caribbean on their 47-foot yacht, which was being towed along the main street. The old man, you know, sitting on the back porch, watching it all go by him with his uh, simonized can in one hand and his chamois skin in the other. He said, well, he said, don't worry, that won't last. Well, the only thing that didn't last in the neighborhood was the old man's Oldsmobile. Because six weeks later, the Oldsmobile finally got... Give me a little more of that summertime music, please. A little more of summertime, please. And so tonight, uh, in the middle of this... Uh, the beginning time of the good old summer season, I want to salute all the people out there who are missing the boat and don't know they're missing the boat right now. Of course, that's the thing about boats missed. You hardly ever know you've missed them. Only once in a great while do you really recognize that you have absolutely, unbelievably, totally, completely, and thoroughly, and irrevocably missed the boat. And it's sailing off in the general direction of, uh, oh, uh, Acapulco, we'll say, with all the lights lit up and the band playing, and 16 guys on the fantail playing poker at $1,000 a point. And uh, you're still a penny ante type. Bring it up there. good <laughs> old... Hold it there. That's enough. Hold it. Hold it there. Hold it there. Some, summertime. Do you, do you mind if I um, get the... You know, uh, June 29th is a... I, I'm fooling around, I admit, but June 29th is a bad day for me. I, I uh, maybe better not tell you, but June 29th, well, you know, we all have stuck down in our craw down there. Uh, we all have about five dates which we remember. They have nothing to do with us, actually, but they're dates. And uh, I know you got one. I bet you got a couple of them. No, really, seriously, a date that has to do with somebody else's life, but somehow it got entangled with you. For example, I can tell you Flick's birthday. Now, you know, it's not my birthday, but I can tell you Flick's. And I can tell you another one. Uh, June 29th is the birthday of a girl that I once was going with when I was about 10 years old, all the way up through about about maybe 18, and every June 29th, it was the shtick about, you know, buying this chick a present and all that jazz, see? Well, on, on, uh, <laughs> and uh, God knows where she is now, you know, this chick, but uh, June 29th is her birthday. Wherever you are, you bag, I want to salute you, June 29th, huh? Speaking of old bags, this is W.O.R., New York. Will you hit the beer button in there, Dick, please? 
Whether it's a Broadway musical or an amateur play in your town, theater is fun. And with that fun, more people than ever before are having parties at home or at their favorite restaurant with the cool, sparkling pleasure of Miller High Life beer. Be sure of a grand opening every time with Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer, brewed to the highest standards of excellence. Get a front row seat for real flavor. Ask for Miller High Life beer. Ho ho ho! Whoopee! Ho 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 ho! How fresh! Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee. Show Vince. <laughs> Have you ever bought anything because of a commercial? Yeah, you got that look, frankly. <laughs> oh man! But uh, I just wonder. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, speaking of uh, speaking of June twentieth, look, I'm a, this, this is a bad day for me. I just you're just going to have to go along with me because I'm being very trivial today because of this day. You know, it's one of them days, June 29th. Uh, somebody uh, wrote me a letter here a couple of days ago, and he was. Uh, these are the kind of things that make you wonder. You know, talk about missing the point. A uh, guy wrote me a letter from a little bookstore in Pennsylvania, someplace, and. Uh, he said, you know, he says, I enjoyed your book. He said, I don't get a chance to read many books. You know, booksellers don't read books. And uh, people in candy stores just don't eat candy. Do you know that I one time, oh, did I ever tell you about the time? Listen, uh, there was a big candy factory that uh, operated about, uh, oh, maybe about two miles from my house when I was a kid. And by the way, they still make candy, and they're fantastic candy. If you ever run into them, I have no connection with them. But one of the great candy bars is one of the uh, rare candy bars. You know, there are certain candy bars that you have one, and it knocks you out, and you never can find them again. Well, there's a certain candy bar. Now, since you go to school in the Midwest, do you, do you know the Queen Anne candy bar? Do you ever hear of Queen Anne bars? Well, Queen Anne bars are very big around Chicago. And uh, they're, they're a spectacular candy bar. They're just covered all over the top with... with uh, with walnuts and all. Yeah, oh, they're, they're really great candy bar. They're, you know, big, fat, kind of fantastic candy bar, see? Well, the, a rumor began to spread among the kids that if you go to the Queen Anne Candy Factory on a Friday night, you see, this place only worked Monday through Friday, and they took Saturday and Sunday off, and if you come there on a Friday night, well, they, they would sell to kids, only kids, they would sell them a big bag of candy bars that didn't make it. You know, they got cut off on the machine, or it squirted too much chocolate on it, or it, uh, you know, squirted the, uh, the cashew nuts on the top of the candy bar in a Freudian symbol, and it was embarrassing, and they couldn't use it, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> You'd be surprised what they do, you know, when they're making candy. Did you ever see, listen, speak of that, did you ever see one of the funniest openings to a movie I ever saw in my life? And it was a movie that uh, was really about somebody else. Uh, in other words, I think it starred Peter Sellers, didn't it? Did it or didn't it? Terry Thomas, that's right. But the opening of the movie was this guy, and uh, he's, he's a very, very uh, effete type. I mean, he's got a derby, and he's a tall, uh, kind of willowy type, and uh, he, he reminded you of all the guys that ever stepped out of a, of a P.G. Woodhouse novel. 
You ever read Woodhouse and all? Jeeves and all that? He just reminded you of Bertie Wooster, you know, and a, he had a, a, he was English, of course. He had a furled bumper shoot and a cutaway coat, and he had just graduated from Oxford, and uh, he was, there was this terrible problem that he had a face, and, and the problem was that his family wanted him to work. He had to work. And uh, he was a very uh, fastidious type, though, and he, you could just see, and he had, the, he had this crisp white shirt and this well-tied foulard, the old school tie, and, and uh, he answered an advertisement asking for young men to uh, come to this factory where, <laughs> where they were looking for young men to represent this corporation. And so the, the scene opens with him getting out of a chauffeur-driven car. And you remember that? He gets out of the chauffeur-driven Bentley, and he's going to look for a job. You know, it's kind of silly in a way there. He gets out, of the, and, and he's in front of the, 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 the gates of, it's a real plant. I, I mean, it's, and there's whistles blowing, and guys going in and out with their lunch buckets, you know, the scourgy, scrongy-looking characters looking, and the, the plant, the smoke is coming out of the steam, and you can see the fire and all that stuff, and the great big smokestacks, and he looks very fastidious. And there's a sign that says, a personnel office. And so he walks into the personnel office, very distinguished-looking guy, and he walks in. He says, uh, I'm, uh, I'm here for the advertisement. And uh, she says, uh, oh, I say, you're here for the, uh, the ad of the telly? He said, yes. And uh, the next scene, we see him now. He is seated with the personnel director, who's a little short, stubby guy, a real cockney type. He said, well, I, I, figured, I figured the first thing we better do is to uh, send you through the plant so you can take a look at uh, how we make our product here. And uh, then there's a quick shot, and now he's in this vast place. It's a tremendous assembly line where they are making candy bars. It's a candy factory. And, and he is so fastidious. You know, you can see this guy eats at nothing but the finest restaurants where the finest beef is served, you know, an old sherry and and Stilton cheese. And you see these girls all dressed in uniforms, and this assembly line is going, and these, you never saw, if you can imagine a candy bar that actually looked obscene. These candy bars are all going along on a belt. It's like, oh, what an obscene, I can't even describe it. We're on the radio, an obscene looking candy bar. It's going along, say, and here is a machine that keeps putting, the machine is, is, is uh, putting some kind of a marshmallow or something on the top of it, say. Each one of these would go into this machine, and, and the machine would go, joy, <laughs> And this marshmallow would come, and he's looking, you see, he's getting white. <laughs> it's getting white. And then they would go to the next machine, and, and I'll tell you, the next machine uh, produced a sound, which since we do have women and children listening to us tonight, I just uh, <laughs> produced the sound, and this machine, I'll tell you, it was, it was the most, one of the most obscene sounds I've ever heard a machine make, but, but it, was, it was like, if you can imagine a machine with a fantastic case of stomach trouble, and not only that, this machine has just suddenly run into the bushes and is unloading everything. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, and, and he's white, you see, he's white, they're teaching him the business, so, and you can just see he's not going to make it, he's just not going to make it. Now, I don't remember the name of that picture. What was the name of that? It was, a, what a, it was one of the funniest sequences I've ever seen. Now, I'll tell you why the English can do this. Now, I, I suspect this about the English. Uh, the reason the English can make fun of and humor of machines is because they don't take the machine as seriously as the Americans. We are really hung. 
Yeah, I'm all right, Jack. That's right. We are really hung on machines. We don't say anything funny about a machine. You know, a machine is a serious thing. And to a guy working over at IBM, all those eyeballs spinning at him, you know, and those red and green lights going and little little uh, little paper tongues flapping out at him, he doesn't see this funny at all. This is very serious, you know. It's a very serious thing. Well, they, well the English can see it as, as uh, you know, funny. So my old man missing the boat and... and, and you know, completely missing the boat about this guy with the with the machine that made the frozen custard, is a you know typical American scene. I you know speaking of uh, speaking of funny uh, machines and running running into the uh, running into the uh, the great moments in the machine world. Uh, I I personally I don't know why it is uh, with me, but I personally uh, never have been able to get. I wish I envy. Have you ever envied people? Uh, and I don't mean envy them for something they have, but I've envied people their seriousness. I really have. I wish I could seriously... Uh, I've never been able to, to really get sweaty over anything. I mean, really sweaty. I, I've envied guys like, like, for example, friends of mine, like Pfeiffer, you know, Jules Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer can actually get... Uh, he, 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 you know, his eyeballs pop out over stuff. I say, uh, all you got to do is say, hey, Jules, all you got to do is say, Hey, Jules, Bobby Kennedy. He just pop, you know. <laughs> or, or, uh, or I'll say, uh, I'll say, hey, Jules, Lyndon. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's, he walks around, hits his head against the wall. And, and I've, <laughs> I've always envied guys for this. Now, now, on the other hand, I've always, I've always envied people. I remember when I'm, I'm first working, I'm a kid, you know, I'm working in the steel mill. I got this job. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, it even went before that. My absolutely very first job that I ever got, my really first official job, I'm 14, and we went down and we got our work permits. You know, you ever got a work permit? Well, I got this work permit, say, and they had on the bulletin board there in the state employment office, they had all these jobs for kids. And all up and down the thing, it says, you know, delivery boy, Goldblatt's. Uh, it says, uh, <laughs> work in the ice house and all that stuff. And, and uh, me and Bolas, it was, it was me and Bolas and Schwartz, uh, the four of us, we just, uh, and, and Flick, Flick peeled off quickly because Flick worked in his old man's tavern, but, but uh, me and Flick and Schwartz and Bolas were all looking at the, we're looking at the bulletin board there, and it was a sign, it said, uh, apprentice needed, clean work. Well, you know, that sounds pretty good. It says clean work, it says good hours. Well, that sounds good. It says apprentice, learn a valuable trade. Well, <laughs> I'm fooling around at this point. You know, I'm 14. You know, I just finished uh, uh, just finished trigonometry, and uh, that's not a very valuable trade. Uh, <laughs> and I had also finished biology one, which is not a very valuable trade. We hadn't even arrived yet at worms in biology one. You know, uh, I, we were mired down where uh, deep among the the. Uh, well, actually, we had we had just finished the bit about the grasshopper. And I was very, very hip on where Grasshopper's ears were. You know where the Grasshopper's ear is? You do? You remember that too, huh? You? Very good. Okay. <laughs> That's all I got out of my education, by the way. I know where Grasshopper's ears are. And so I used to walk around after that in the outfield, you know, when I'm 14, I'd pick up Grasshopper's and I'd, you know, I'd talk into their ear. I'd pick up and I'd say, there's his ear, see? And that's about all I got out of school. So I wanted to learn a valuable trade. So Flick, you know, Flick says, well, I'm learning a valuable trade. I'm running a tavern. <laughs> little, little realizing he was learning a valuable trade, you know. And so Schwartz and Bolas and myself, we go down to this place. 
And uh, we walked out, and I know exactly how this guy feels. You know, there's, there's a, there is an indescribable feeling, and I'm going to try to describe it, uh, which is a silly thing to do, I suppose, but an indescribable feeling that we have all had. It's a feeling of deep trepidation. How can I, how else can I say? A kind of borderline sickness, uh, fear, and great suspicions of untold fields of boredom about to open up <laughs> when you when you when you walk in and you're a kid and all of a sudden you're getting your first job and you start to do it you know getting a job and talking about having a job is one thing but having a job is another i mean actually going in and getting the job it's oh boy and, and especially if it's, if it's a, you know, if you're doing a job that's connected with your, you know, fun, like, like my idea of a great job, you know what my idea of a great job when I was a kid would have been? To have been a ball boy at Comiskey Park. Yeah, you, you ever seen those kids on TV once in a while, uh, the ball boy sitting down there and he's wearing a Yankee uniform and uh, somebody hits a foul ball, he, you know, he runs out like mad and picks up the ball before the kids can jump over the stands and grab it. That's the ball boy. And I always used to sit in the stands when I'd go with my old man. I wonder how the heck this kid ever got that job. As a matter of fact, that's the kind of job that if I got, I would never quit. I mean, they'd have a devil of a time getting me out of there. They could say, hey, you're not, you know, here you are, 84 years old, and you're still a ball boy. I'd say, what do you mean? <laughs> that's a great job, man. And I always wondered how you got jobs like being the bat boy, you know, for the Detroit Tigers or something like that. And so here I am, me and Schwartz. And Bolas, we got this job in a piano factory. Now, this began early with me, see, this whole idea of being amused by, by machines. Now, Schwartz and Bolas did not become amused. And they immediately fell to work like beavers. Uh, they took, they took Bolas off, and each one of us was assigned to a different department. We're in a, have you ever been in a piano factory? I'll tell you. You wouldn't believe what a piano factory is like. Now, very few people that I've ever met have ever been in a piano factory, and I was in one. See, I worked in one. And so the first day, me and Schwartz and Bolas were sitting there, and I don't know, it must have been our build or our eyes or the look in the face or something, and they assigned each three of us, each one of us of the three, to a department that we were going to learn the trade. Well, I was assigned to work in the back department. Now, if you look underneath a piano, have you ever looked in the back of a piano? You notice the, the piano's got these ribs that go back, and it's got a big flat, what looks like a piece of uh, plywood in the back there. That's called the back of the piano. It, it really is. That's technically called the back. Even if you have a grand piano, and the grand piano, if you look underneath it, you'll find it has a piece of plywood with the ribs, and on it is this great big lyre, this great big brace, the big lute-type lyre, and on it the action sets. The action is put right down on it. Well, my job was to make this back, see. And here was this old coot who was teaching me how to make backs. Well, this old coot had learned the trade in some place like uh, Stuttgart. You know, all these were all old German piano makers, see. And it was his life work. Not only his life work, it was his life art form. He expressed himself through backs of pianos. And his eyes would water when he would see a beautiful back of a piano. You know, just you could just see the tears coming. It was just emotional, you know, just unbelievable. And and uh, he hands me the drill, and he says, "Now, but I when I drill over here, you will drill on your back on the rack there. You put a piece of wood there, and he says, test it first, but see, but it, it's 
It's uh, right for it. And he'd go, dong, 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 dong. He'd shake the wood. And then I'd take it up, and I'd go, dong, 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 dong. I didn't know what I was supposed to look for. So he says, there, see how that sounds? It's a good back. Very good. He puts it down. And then he takes the drill, and he goes, Oh, this old son of a gun, this old coot, he could drill holes in backs of pianos with his eyes shut, with one hand tied behind his back, with no drill in the bit, you know. He'd just go, weep. He'd drill, weep. And he says, now, why do you try one? I so you take the drill and you write it up to hand it, hold it. Now, try it. Okay. Eep. He's a little crooked, but very good. Very good for the first one. Eep. But it's a little better now. Now, you take the drill. Well, I am doing this for about ten minutes, and I look over about 20 feet away, and there is Bolas, and they're teaching Bolas how to put the actions in pianos. Well, it was then that I had my first moment of being amused by machines. Uh, the piano was being lowered, this back, and five guys who look like gnomes are walking around it, see, and they're, they're swinging this thing around, and one guy is going ding, 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 And Bolas is sweating. They're all putting this thing down, and it's a grand piano that had Mickey Mice, Mickey Mouses printed all over the front. It was a kid piano. It had Mickey Mouses all over it, see. And they were lowering this work. It was it was an upright, see, and they were lowering this action down into this upright piano that was painted pink. It had little blue squirts of paint all over it with ducks and owls. And Mickey Mouse was running all over it, and Donald Duck was there. And they were going, ding, 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 ding. Well, I started to laugh. And this old coot that was with me, who was my boss, remember, he's my boss. I'm his apprentice. This old coot drew himself up, and he says, what are you laughing at? I couldn't tell him. I, I, I pointed over there. And here's Bolas. He's got this back now on his back, sweating like a pig, see? And, and this little other little guy who's teaching him how to do it is going ding, 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 ding. Apparently, when you lower the works into a piano, you have to keep ringing the keys to make sure that they ring true as it goes in, so it doesn't lose tone or something. And he's going ding, 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 ding. And all the Donald Ducks were running around the side of this piano with the, you know, and all the Mickey Mouses and the eggs, the Easter eggs. And I couldn't stop laughing. Oh, that old coot was bugged. He was really bugged. Well, this went on for three days. Every day I get this sick feeling in my stomach. Oh, i got to go to work. You know, it's terrible. I hated it. Oh, I hated it. I can't tell you how much I hated working. And I couldn't tell my mother and my old man because they were so proud. I had gone out and got a job this summer. I say, oh, boy, isn't that great? He's got a job. Look at him. He's got a job. Oh, I can't stand it. That, oh, you know, it's really bugging me. And I envied Flick. You see, <laughs> Flick would come home from his job smelling like old beer. <laughs> and, you know, and he, he's always eating potato chips, and he's always eating pretzels and all that stuff, and guys were singing and yelling, and, and fist fights would break out in the tavern where he worked. And all that happened in my place was these old men, thousands of old men, they must have been 90, all of them, Thousands of old men walking around, and they were polishing pianos and drilling holes and stuff. And other guys were standing around and putting keys down into the works. And I, I could smell the shellac. I would smell the sawdust. And I would hear that ding, 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 ding. And it, on one hand, it was very amusing. I was laughing. I couldn't stop laughing every time I would look over and see Bolas hiding underneath all the Mickey Mouse pianos with the works on his back. 
on the fourth day, I remember his name. He was old man Der Wolf. Old man Der Wolf says to me, he says, Gene, well, uh, this morning, he says, uh, before we begin work, I wish you would go in to see Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson was the guy that hired me in the personnel department, and he had this office with glass all around it. And Mr. Johnson sat at his desk, and I walked in. I got my overalls on, you know, my blue jeans and my blue work shirt, and I walk in. I still got my lunch bucket. I just come into work, and it was five minutes to eight. I walk in, and Mr. Johnson said, uh, uh, we here don't feel that you fit. We're going to... Uh, we're going to make it possible for you to... Well, we don't think, actually, that, uh, that our organization is big enough for you. I was getting a mitten. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you were ever fired? You know, well, now, here, here's this... I'm going to have to confess something. Here's something I've never confessed. On the one hand, you know, I'm being fired. You know, I didn't cut it. I didn't make it. On the other hand, there was this fantastic feeling of unbelievable relief. Oh, boy, was I, <laughs> was I relieved. See, holy smokes. And, and I went back into the place there to get my jacket. You know, they had a thing. You had to wear a jacket there, which was another one of the great things about this place. And uh, I went in there, and I got my jacket. And old Der Wolf, you know, he's looking down. He's drilling like he doesn't see... He doesn't look at me, see, he's drilling away there. Obviously, he was the one that called up Johnson and said, get rid of his klutz. And he's drilling away there. And he said, well, he said, uh, I'm very sorry. He said, uh, it's been very nice working with you. And I said, yeah, yeah. Well, he said, uh, some have it and some don't. And I could see in the distance, I could see Bolas <laughs> sweating like a pig. And he's got this works, this action balanced on the top of his head. And his boss is going, ding, 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 ding. And they're lowering another, another piece of junk into this Mickey Mouse piano. And, and I could see Schwartz. He worked up on the balcony. And Schwartz was a born beaver. Schwartz was up there. He was in the polishing department, by the way. He had a rag, and they gave him a, they gave him chamois cloths, and they gave him this jeweler's polish. And he's up there polishing the back of a grand piano, and he looks down at me and sweats pouring down. And five minutes later, I'm out in the sunshine, see. And I got my jacket off, and I'm eating my peanut butter and jelly sandwich that my mother gave me for lunch, see. And I've already eaten the Twinkie, and I'm walking along in the sunshine. And I'm trying to figure out how to tell my old man that I've been fired. How to tell him I've been canned. And by the way, I'll be canned very quickly if I don't get this commercial on. So hit it. They're all excited in there. Joseph E. Levine presents Shirley MacLaine, Alan Arkin, Rosano Brazzi, Michael Caine, Vittorio Gassman, and Peter Sellers. In Woman Time 7. Everything a man should know, and everything a motion picture could show about woman. Vittorio De Sica's Woman Times Seven, from Embassy Pictures in Color. Shirley MacLaine, conniving with Alan Arkin, carousing with Rosano Brazzi, deceiving Michael Caine. 
taunting Vittorio Gassman and nearly killing Peter Sellers in Woman Times Seven. The most exciting idea a man ever had for a motion picture. Oh, wow. Holy smokes, I can hardly wait. Now playing at Lowe's Tower East and 57th Street, Lincoln Art Theaters. I consider that a warning. Holy smokes. Did I ever tell you my, my, uh, my list of movie people that I would have to be literally tortured on the guillotine to be forced to go and see? Do you want to know who some of them are? <laughs> well, all right, all right. You really want to know some of them? This, this is my own list of my own litmus paper. Whenever any of these people are in any movie, uh, there's something deep down inside of me that turns deep orange. You know, it, it detects the faint aroma. Uh, one, Peter O'Toole. <laughs> okay, Peter O'Toole. That, uh, anybody named Redgrave? Anybody. I don't care. Uh, there's a... Doesn't make any difference. Just anybody. Uh, Michael Caine. Okay. And oh boy, Shirley MacLaine. I would have to be shot out of the Quaker Oats puffed wheat guns all the way over to Teaneck, New Jersey, before I would. <laughs> now I don't know what this shows about me. Uh, I, you know, I'm wondering. I'm wondering when the day is going to come when psychologists, you know, are going to are going to apply, uh, you know, modern things to people. When you go in to do a psychologist, and uh, they ask you various things about various cars, uh, they can tell what you're like, you know, by what, your reaction to a car. And I think that you know, it says a lot about a guy. Sure. Oh, absolutely. There's there's one kind of guy, who, uh, I mean, this is the type of guy who believes that the bigger the car, the better. A big car is a good car. And the more powerful the car, the better the car. That's a certain type of guy, yeah. And uh, if it's got air conditioning, it's even better. And if it's got automatic brakes with automatic windshield operators, that's even better. Now, that, that tells a lot about this guy. <laughs> See, it really does. I mean, oh, oh sure. This, the, you know that you can buy equipment now for your car that spits lighted cigars right out at you? You don't even have to, you know, just spits it out. And makes ice cream cones on the dash, you know, blows up your balloons, little things like that, you know. And, uh, sure. And, uh, I, I'm waiting. Oh, yeah. Oh, you want to hear more of my, my favorite, my unfavorite movie stars? Okay. Friends, you don't, you don't know what, uh, what torture I have gone through watching Jack Lemon movies. <laughs> I mean, you just don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, who else? Well, uh, uh, I, I will tell you, uh, uh Woody Allen. I'll tell you that. Uh, there's, a, there's another one. Uh, there's, about, there's about 15 people that just automatically... And, oh, incidentally, uh, any movie that's called Screamingly Funny, A Wild Romp, I look out. I did not laugh at once at Cat Baloo. I thought Cat Baloo was about as funny as a rubber crutch in a windstorm. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> No, really, I'm sorry. This is terrible. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, now, 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 I suppose the way I am, I suppose this must say that I do not find Lee Marvin funny ever, ever. No. Now, on the other hand, I I thought Robert Morse in How to Succeed did one of the one of the funniest film performances I've seen in years. 
Do you agree with me on that? Did you see that? You know, but nobody, you know, nobody's going to say much about that. I don't know. There's something that it's official. Uh, somehow, oh, oh yes, there's another one too. I have literally, uh, you you would have to put a thumb screw on me, and you'd have to pretty well screw it all the way down to the limit before I would go to see Jane Fonda. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe, maybe this, and uh, well, of course, there's about 15 Greek actresses too. Uh, I just that that just goes without saying. And there's about seven French actresses. And anybody named Melina. Or is it Melina? Yeah, anybody named Melina, yeah. Uh, and any movie that has the title Woman in it, be careful. That's a bad scene. Not that I'm against women, it's, just, it's a bad scene. It's a wonderful romp, uh, risky. Oh, you know, oh, wow. Oh, I just, I can hear this. Anything that the, yeah, did, did any of you laugh at Irma LaDuce? Any of you? I sat in, the, uh, in a theater. It was funny. I sat in a theater, a great big Times Square theater, and saw that. And this thing unreeled. There must have been 1,500 people in the audience. And there wasn't one laugh in the entire... It was, it was one of the most silent pictures I've ever seen. And I had just read the reviews that said, Screamingly funny. Another triumph for Shirley MacLaine. Another fantastic smash by Jack Lemmon. And I sat there. And you know, the trouble was my left foot fell asleep during it. And it wasn't until about a week or so later that I was able to actually get the kinks out of it after that one. But then again, you know, it's just only my own private litmus paper. And someday, well, you know. Oh, no, no. Oh, there's another one. Uh, another one. No, I kind of like Rock Hudson. That shows how rotten I am. 